This podcast is presented to you by High Desert Word Center in Barstow, California. For more information, visit hdwc.org. All right, let's get into the Word. You ready? I want you to open your Bibles with me to 1 Kings chapter 19. 1 Kings 19. And this morning I believe the Lord wants us to look at the vision of Elijah and how he came to obtain it. What was Elisha's vision? Well, he had a vision of double the anointing of his mentor, Elijah. And you remember when he asked for it, when he asked Elijah for that double portion, Elijah told him, well, you've asked for a hard thing, but if you see me when I'm taken away, then it'll be yours. But see, how did Elijah get to this point? How did he get to this vision of double the anointing? Well, here in 1 Kings 19, we find Elijah plowing behind his oxen. He's going back and forth across the field. He's not doing anything wrong, but there's nothing jumping on the inside of him. At this point in his life, he's got no vision. He's just doing the same thing over and over, business as usual. And really, he's not walking in the perfect will of God for his life. And he needed to be set free so that he could. Look at 1 Kings 19.19. So he is, he is referring to Elijah. So Elijah departed from there and found Elijah, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen before him, and he was with the 12th. Now hold up for just a minute. I want to point out, this is a big operation. This is not your normal, small family farm. 12 yoke of oxen. I mean, they got 12 plows going. <laughs> That's not a normal deal in that time. And a normal was one, maybe two. But 12, so he walked away from a really big operation, successful operation. But look, look at the rest of the verse. Then Elijah passed by him and threw his mantle on him. Well, now mantle we know is symbolic for the anointing, but I, I, I'll tell you that piece of cloth was anointed. <laughs> I mean, an anointing can get into cloth and that cloth can store it until it's put on somebody else and that anointing can then go into them. I remember once when we were pastoring in South Carolina, we held a healing service, and and there was people that couldn't get to the healing service, so their relatives brought a handkerchief, a cloth. In fact, they lived in Georgia. And so we prayed over that cloth. They mailed it to their relative in Georgia. Their relative in Georgia had a brain tumor. I mean, advanced tumor of the brain, inoperable. They took that piece of cloth, stuck it on their head, and that tumor disappeared. (laughs) Cloth can hold an anointing. And so here's Elijah. What's he doing, man? He's throwing the anointing on Elijah. It got on him. And what happened? Well, it set him free to pursue his God-giving calling. See, isn't it good to know that even if you're not walking in God's perfect will, he can have people walk across your path and unlock the vision that God's got for you. You know, throw the anointing of God on you, which destroys any bondage that's been holding you back from doing what God has really called you to do. Elijah threw the anointing. He threw the anointing on Elijah. That anointing broke the bondage that was keeping Elijah back. That bondage of seeing everything the same, back and forth, plowing that field, back. It's so mundane. You know, I grew up on a farm, so I know all about it. Thank God I didn't have to plow with oxen. 
I had a tractor, but it's still slow. It's still boring. You see the same thing over and over all day long. (laughs) Now, if you're called to farm, praise God. I thought I was going to be a farmer, but then God put the anointing on me. Man by the name of Jim Caseman came along and threw the anointing on me and broke that bondage of going back and forth with the plow. <laughs> we had plans. I mean, my wife, I got a degree in plant and soil science with the sole purpose of going back to the farm so that we could really, really set it on fire, you know. We know some stuff now. We're, we're going to make money. We're going to have the best farm. And then God got on us and said, no, need you on the mission field. We said, good. <laughs> But see, the bondage was destroyed because of the anointing. Elijah's vision came to life. It was there, but it wasn't jumping. Yeah, I need some water. This one's easy to get. (laughs) Praise the Lord. See, he couldn't be content with plowing any, any longer. See, when the anointing comes on you, you see what could be instead of just what is. That anointing will show you God's purpose for your life, and then you can let go of what you've been holding on to and grab a hold of what God's offering. There's so much more in God than just surviving. You can survive in God's permissive will, but His perfect will is where the action is. You know, here in America, I think there's just way too many Christians that are content with barely making it to heaven. You know, I got my fire insurance. I'm not going to hell, but I really want to do what I want to do. So I'm just going to do what I want to do. I'll still make it to heaven, yeah, and you might stand before the judgment seat of Christ and hear him say, well, instead of well done, he'll say, well, why didn't you do what I asked you to do? Moving right along. (laughs) Elijah came walking out to Elijah while he's plowing. You know, farmers really don't like people walking on their freshly plowed dirt. (laughs) I told you, I grew up on a farm. And the farm that we had in eastern Montana, I mean, it was all irrigated. You can't grow anything there. It's kind of like here. You can't grow anything without water. And back in that day, it was furrow irrigation. So we were doing row crops And we had little ditches down every row, and we had to have water run down those rows in order to get a crop. And so in order to plant that field, man, it had to be perfect. I mean, it had to be just right before you ever planted it, or you're never going to get water to run down those rows. And I can remember one day we got in the field just right. I was running the land playing, getting it all smooth. Dad came in with the planter. He's going to, he's ready to, he, he did one, one swipe across the field already. And then I see this city sucker pull up at the edge of the field, you know, and I'm thinking, oh, no, he wants to talk to my dad, I bet. And my dad's at the other end of the field. Surely he's smart enough. Nope. He starts driving right across this freshly prepared field. And I looked, I looked over at my dad and I'm seeing his face get red. I'm seeing the veins in his neck start coming out and. And I'm thinking, I need to meet that guy and tell him to get out of here before he's dead. <laughs> Farmers, you know, they really don't want people messing with their dirt. And so I can just imagine Elisha watching Elijah come walking toward him. 
I can just imagine, who does he think he is? Hey, dude, don't be walking on my work. Don't be messing with my dirt. Yeah, we got a lot of Christians like that today. Wanting to be in a church under a pastor that won't mess with their dirt. <laughs> you know, somebody that'll tickle their, tickle their ears, stroke their back, never step on their toes. People think, and some even say, just let me live the way I want to. I'm comfortable this way. Just leave my dirt alone. Well, well, I know your pastors well enough to to know that if your dirt needs messed with, they'll mess with it. (laughs) And it's important because you'll never change what you're willing to tolerate. And what you're willing to tolerate can actually keep you from fulfilling the vision that God has put on your life. See, that anointing came on Elijah and he let go of the plow and he went after the vision. The bondage was broken because of the anointing. And his purpose came to life. It just started jumping up and down on the inside of him. He ran after a man of God that he really didn't know all that well. And someone may have even asked him, Ooh, ooh, what's your new job? What's your new position? What's your new job title? I uh, don't have one. Oh, 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 I know. You're gonna, you're gonna be, you're gonna lay hands on people when he gets tired. No, that's not it. Oh, oh, you're, you're gonna be his administrative pastor and take care of his business for him. No, that's not it. Oh, I know you're gonna preach his offering messages for him. That'll be it. No, that's not it either. Well, what are you gonna do? Well, if you read it, Elijah was there to pour water on Elijah's hands. Now that loses something in the cultural translation, unless you've been to nations like Liz and I have been to, where they have no running water. It's really tough to get your hands washed if somebody's not pouring water on your hands to help you do it. And so when Elijah said, I'm going to pour water on his hands, what that really meant was, I'm going to help Elijah do whatever needs to be done. I am there to help Elijah fulfill his vision. That's what he was called to do. Amen. Now, how many of you have a vision? Let let me rephrase it. How many of you know what your purpose is here on this earth? What you you got a few more hands. How how many of you know what you're supposed to be involved with? Now we're getting more. Know what you're supposed to be doing even inside of High Desert Word Center. All right, even more hands. This is good. (laughs) Let me give you some let me give you some free advice right here, right now. You want your vision to come to pass? And everybody should be going, yeah, I want my vision to come to pass. Then hook up with your pastor's vision. Help that vision come to pass. And while you're doing that, your vision will take care of itself. It'll just, and see, when God gives you a vision, if you're part of this church, God gives you a vision, it'll fit right underneath that corporate vision, and that vision is there to help you fulfill, help your pastors fulfill their vision. That's just how it works. You know, uh, we're, we're in AFCM, Association of Faith Churches and Ministers. The, the president and founder is Dr. Jim Casement. Years ago, when he first started AFCM, if somebody asked him, what's your vision? Brother Jim would say, well, my vision is to help Kenneth E. Hagin fulfill his vision. And what was Kenneth E. Hagin's vision? Well, Jesus appeared to him and told him, go teach my people faith. And if you pick up any of Brother Hagin's books, you're going to find faith in it. 
And, and secondarily, it was how to be led by the Spirit of God. And so those two things, that was Brother Hagin's vision. Well, if you ask Jim Caseman, what's your vision? I, I'm just here to help him fulfill his. And now, even if you look at this diet I'm on, it makes me thirsty. Uh, but I can fit in my suit coat again. <laughs> Where was I? Oh, <laughs> Jim Caseman, if you read the vision statement for AFCM now, it says this. We are here to connect ministers through the word of faith. And that's what we're doing. We're doing it across America. We're doing it around the world. And if you were to ask Liz and I, what's your vision? Well, my vision is to help Dr. Jim Caseman fulfill his vision, which is to connect people with the word of faith. These Bible schools, that's what we're doing. We, we are putting the word of faith into these national ministers so they can go teach their people and they can reach their nation, they can reach those tribes. We're also teaching them how to be led by the Spirit of God, which is exactly what, what Kenneth E. Hagin was all about. So if you'll hook up with your pastors and, them, and their vision, your vision will take care of itself just like it did for Elijah. Elijah got his double. Now turn with me to 2 Kings chapter 2. Elijah had left a good place. Remember, he was running a successful farm. He had followed a man he really didn't know all that well. But he began to pursue his dream. He began to follow his vision by helping the man of God with his vision. And he served him from somewhere between 15 and 20 years. He was pouring water on Elijah's hands for quite a while. He was not a six-month flash-in-the-pan kind of guy. No, this was long-term. Second Kings 2, verse 9. And so it was when they had crossed over that Elijah said to Elijah, Ask, what may I do for you before I'm taken away from you? Elijah said, Please let a double portion of your spirit be upon me. Now, Elijah's vision is jumping up and down on the inside of him. I mean, it is alive. He's stretching for it, man. He's reaching for it. Now, read verse 10. So he said, you've asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if you see me when I'm taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if not, it shall not be so. Do you know what I always used to think when I, when I read this in the past? I thought this only meant if Elijah was right there when Elijah was taken away, that he'd go ahead and get that double anointing. Well, it, it does mean that, but I'm convinced it means so much more as well. Have you ever said something like this, you know, that guy over there, that guy and I, we we just don't see eye to eye. We're just not quite on the same page. <laughs> well, Amos chapter 3 and verse 3 says, can two walk together unless they be agreed? Now, we know that Elijah and Elijah walked together for 15 to 20 years. They must have been in agreement. <laughs> Elijah said, if you see me when I'm taken from you, and I am confident that he also meant, if we're seeing eye to eye... If we're on the same page, if we've got right relationship going on, if you understand what I understand and you know what I know, if you've had the right motives and you've kept the right attitude, if you've been loyal and faithful, then you'll go ahead and get your double. I'm sure it said all of that. (laughs) Now let's read verse 11. Then it happened as they continued on and talked that suddenly a chariot of fire appeared with horses of fire, separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. Praise the Lord. 
Did you catch that whirlwind part? I mean, a tornado took him up into heaven. I always thought it was the chariot of fire and the horses of fire. Well, I think he was in the chariot, but a tornado took him up. <laughs> and see, here, here's what I get out of that. Elijah and Elisha were, were walking so close in agreement. They were so close together in their life and ministry. That's what it took to separate them. Horses of fire and a chariot of fire. It took that to get them separated enough to take one and not the other. Now, let's go and compare that with the sons of the prophets. Who are they? Well, let's read about them. 2 Kings 2, verses 5 through 8. Now, the sons of the prophets who were at Jericho came to Elijah and said to him, Do you know that the Lord will take away your master from over you today? So he answered and said, Yeah, I know. Keep silent. Then Elijah said to him, Stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me on to the Jordan. But he said, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on. And 50 men of the sons of the prophets went and stood facing them at a distance. Everybody say, at a distance. While the two of them stood by the Jordan. Now Elijah took his mantle, rolled it up and struck the water. Telling you, that thing was anointed. (laughs) And it was divided this way and that so that the two of them crossed over on dry ground. Now, here's what you need to know. These 50 sons of the prophets, they had the same mentor as Elijah. His name was Elijah. They went to the same Bible school. They had the same teaching that Elijah did. But they stood at a distance on the other side of the river watching and waiting. And what did they get? They got nothing. Listen, it's hard to be involved from a distance. It's difficult to serve if you have to reach across the river. Difficult to see eye to eye from so far away. Man, you got to get close to see eye to eye. Uh, you got to get close to the anointing for the bondages to be broken off. Close to the anointing for your vision to come to life. Now go with me to Isaiah 40. We'll start wrapping this up. Isaiah 40. Very familiar scripture. Now, I would say that the sons of the prophets had a bad day that day. (laughs) I mean, they missed out. They could have got blessed. They missed out. They had a bad day. And some might say, well, yeah, wait a minute. Elijah didn't invite them. Well, Elijah didn't invite Elijah either. In fact, he tried to get him to stay behind. What was it? That was a test. That was a test. Elijah passed and the 50 sons of the prophets flunked. Now, let me ask you, is there a test that comes from God? Now, he doesn't test us with sickness and disease and poverty and lack and tornadoes and hurricanes and earthquakes and such. He tests us with, will you do what I say? Will you trust me and obey? And see, here's what I know. If if God sends you a test like that in your flunk, it's coming around again. (laughs) It'll come around again. And last time when you flunked, maybe you flunked because you circled F for false. This time when it comes around, circle T for true. (laughs) Go ahead and pass it this time. (laughs) See, anybody can have a bad day. Bad week, bad month, even a bad year. But you've got to get over it. Get past it. Press on with the vision. How? By getting close to the anointing. Have you found Isaiah 40? 
We're going to read verse 31. Very familiar verse, but do you know it all? Verse 31 says, But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. But those who wait on the Lord, just hang out waiting. Just hang out, you know, waiting and a-watching. No, that's what the 50 sons of the prophets were doing. (laughs) That word wait in the Hebrew means to entangle. It means to intertwine. In fact, the word wait in the Hebrew gives us this picture. When they would make a rope back in Elijah's day, they would take one strand, they'd tie it to a beam, or they would tie it to a tree branch, depending on what they had available. They would stretch it tight, tie a big rock to the bottom of it so that it was stretched and stable. Then they would take two or three other strands and braid it together into that one weighed-down strand. That weighed-down strand is called a weight. And so really this verse is telling us, those who stand and let God wrap himself around you, those that go ahead and intertwine themselves, those that will entangle themselves in the presence of God, those are the ones that shall renew their strength. See, it's difficult to make a rope from a distance. I'd say it's kind of probably impossible. I know it's absolutely impossible to do it from the other side of a river. You can't do it. You've got to go across the river with him. So verse 31, but those who wait on the Lord, those who entangle themselves, those who intertwine themselves, those who braid themselves into the presence of the Lord, they shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. I really like that part. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. You know, I I once read a story about a pilot had his own twin engine airplane. And while flying one day, he heard a very strange noise in his cockpit that he'd never heard before. He heard a scratching, munching, twitching kind of sound, kind of like. And he didn't have a clue as to what it was. So he called back to the airport that he took off from, you know, radioed in, told him about this strange noise. And he's talking to the guy at the airport that had been around a long time. And so this guy tells him, you know, you need to start checking your gauges and and such, you know. And he did, and they checked out okay. And finally, the airport guy says, you need to check one more thing. When a particular uh, switch is flipped, a red light is supposed to come on. Well, the pilot flipped the switch, no red light. The guy at the airport says, you got a problem. Of course, the pilot knew as well. Didn't know what was causing it. But the airport guy says, you know, I'm pretty sure... You got a rat in your cockpit panels, those panels above your head, chewing on your hot wires. See, at that airport, if a plane sat around long enough, rats would break into it, get into it, looking for shelter, looking for food. You know, rats, they'll try to get into anything. And then when a plane takes off, you get higher in elevation, it gets cold, especially up there next to the roof. And so those rats will seek out the wires that got current running through them because they're warm. And so they get right up next to that warm wire. And being a rat, they can't help but chew on it. And so they'll chew through that wire if you give them a chance. And if they chew through enough of them, those engines are going to stall. They're just going to quit running. 
And so the, the pilot says, man, I need to get back to the airport and land. And the guy at the airport says, I don't think you got time for that. I don't want you to land. I think here's what you need to do. Pull your throttle all the way out. Get those twin engines just a humming as fast as they can. Pull back on the yoke and go higher than you've ever been before. And so he did. He went so high, he was concerned about oxygen for himself. He's way up there, and he stayed up there until he quit hearing that that sound quit. And so then he flew back to the airport and landed. The guy at the airport came out and helped him search the cockpit. They pulled down a panel off the ceiling. There was a dead rat. And see, rats, they can't survive at that high of an altitude, and the guy at the airport knew that. That's why he was helping him out that way. But see, you might be wondering, what in the world has this got to do with anything? Well, <laughs> I'll tell you. When you're dealing with rats in your spiritual life, rats that eat your vision and contaminate your faith, rats of offense, rats trying to push you into fear, doubt rats or flesh rats tempting you to sin, rat attacks sent from the enemy, what do you need to do? You need to take it to another level. You've got to go higher than a rat can fly. Because you go higher than a demon will tolerate. You go higher in the presence of God. Those demons, they'll just fall by the wayside. They'll quit bugging you. They can't handle it. They that wait upon the Lord, they shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. And when you get higher than a rat can fly, they'll just fall by the wayside. All those attacks from the, from the enemy, those, that, those temptations to criticize, murmur, and maybe even complain about your pastors. Hello. What is that? That's rats trying to attach themselves to your hot wire to shut down your vision. They're trying to shut your vision down and they're trying to do it by separating you from your pastor. All right, I'll let that sink in for a little bit. Let me te- while you're thinking about that, <laughs> let me tell you some things about rats. Liz and I, we got a lot of experience with rats. The demon variety and the real variety. <laughs> we lived in Nepal. You know, for most of the time that we lived in that country, we were back in the back country. Because that's where most of the Nepali people live. And so we would go in a four-wheel drive vehicle, bump and grind over the worst roads I've ever seen in my life, even have to go across a couple of rivers, so we'd always have to wait until the monsoons had been over for a while so that the rivers were low enough to get across them. We'd get to the end of the road, we'd get out, and then we'd walk for two days, two 12-hour days, to get back into where we lived and ministered. Now, when I say walking for two, I'm not talking about an on-the-level walk. I'm talking about you're going up and over ridges. And see, in Nepal, it's not a mountain until it has snow on it permanent. That's a mountain. That's a Himal, you know, Himalaya. A Himal is the one that's got snow on it. Well, that doesn't happen until 20,000 feet. So anything below 20,000 feet is a hill. That's a ridge. <laughs> We went up and over 10,000 foot ridges, <laughs> starting at 3,000, going over 10,000, having to drop down to 7,000. See, this is what, this was normal. And so we'd go all the way in, into this back country to a village area. We had a village house. Now, I, I'm tell, this village house had no electricity, no running water. It had rock and mud mortar walls. What's that mean? Well, they were really good at stacking rocks and sticking them together with clay mud. And so, I mean, walls this thick, 
two-story structure now, substantial, would have a slate rock roof, slate shingles, thin pieces of slate for a roof. Heavy, but it, these were substantial structures. And so we moved into that, you know, no mud floors, the whole nine yards. Well, when we when we left after six months, go back into the city and and restock our supplies and regain our sanity. We left the house for about a month. We didn't know what would happen. We came back and the rats had burrowed through that mud mortar right into the house. I mean, we, our house was overrun with rats. And the stuff that we didn't put in metal containers chewed up. They chewed up one of my Bibles. Bible my grandma gave me. I was not happy. They chewed up plastic containers, went through Tupperware like it wasn't even there. And so <laughs> here's all these rats. Now, I'd already trapped a few before we left, so, I, you know, I should have had a clue that these guys were going to come in. And we had these snap traps. I mean, they're, they're about like that. You know, a mouse trap, only way bigger. One of them was stainless steel completely, had steel teeth sticking up from the bottom. It was mean. Well, I set these two traps, and I already knew from experience you got to tie a piece of wire to the trap and then tie it to a nail and drive the nail into the floor, or you'd have to run around looking for your trap after you caught one. And so I set both of these traps, and we went to bed, and, uh, you know, ten minutes after getting into bed, we hear, snap! Liz says, you got one, you got one, go... And I said, hold on, hold on, just wait a minute or two, because... Just a few minutes later, snap, the second one. Okay. And she says, now, now go, go get rid of them. I said, I'm going to wait until they quit going. <laughs> After they quit flopping and flipping around, I go down and empty the traps, reset them, and we did that all night. So I, I know some things about rats. <laughs> and here's what I know. They got no vision. <laughs> Did you know that rats are almost blind? They go by smell, hearing, and touch. They got no vision. You and I were made to soar with wings like eagles, so don't hang with the rats, and don't let rats hang on you. They got no vision. And they'll try to keep you from yours. The primary way that they'll try to keep you from your vision is by putting distance between you and the covering that God has put you under. That's the primary way. The second thing about rats <laughs> is they got a weak backbone. Those traps are designed to break that backbone. Snap! Now, if it doesn't break it initially, all that flipping and flopping mm-hmm, breaks it. So, not only can they not see, they got no vision, they got no backbone either. They can't stand for anything. No backbone. You know, a little resistance, and they'll fold. James chapter 4, verse 7 says, Submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. The Greek says, flee from you, as in run from you, as in terror. (laughs) Praise God. You remember when Peter denied the Lord those three times? Denied the Lord, you know. And then that rooster went, well, Peter had let a rat in. He'd let a demon influence him so that he wouldn't stand for Jesus. 
Remember now, a rat's got no backbone. Won't stand for anything. And who was it that had the vision? Well, that'd be Jesus. Jesus had the vision. Jesus was Peter's covering. And what was the devil trying to do? Trying to put distance between Peter and Jesus. That's what they do. Now, a third thing about rats is they're hard-headed. Hardest part of a rat is their head. They'll use that head to break into airplanes. They'll use that head to burrow through mud and rock mortar walls. It's the hardest part of their body. So, what can we take from that? Well, not only can rats not see the vision, got no backbone so they won't stand for the vision, they're hard-headed about not seeing the vision or standing for the vision. (laughs) They're stubborn, in other words. Hard-headed rats keep people stuck in their ways, seeing everything the same, back and forth, business as usual, plowing that field when they're called to do something else. Rats keep people from seeing the vision, standing for the vision, and changing so vision can come. Rats will keep people on the wrong side of the river at a distance, separated from the bigger vision. And so what's the answer? Take it to the next level. Go ahead and intertwine, wrap yourself up in the presence of God, fly higher than a rat can fly. They'll just fall by the wayside and you'll be free to pursue what God has called you to do. Amen. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you for your word today. I thank you for your word that will help people. Grab a vision, stand for the vision, hook up with the pastor's vision, run with the vision, making it plain. And Lord, I ask you in Jesus' name to help every one of these people remember this. Lord, if they remember nothing else, help them remember the rat story. Because that rat story will help them remember, ooh, I don't want to be around the rats. Need to be in the presence of God. Father, I'm asking for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more information, visit hdwc.org.